0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Previnex. I'm back to running full time. It feels great. I was injured for basically a year. And here I am six weeks in and my body feels so good. I'm a little tired, but my body feels good, strong, and healthy. There's a bunch of reasons for that, right? Took it slow, took it easy, working with some pros who are giving me the right advice. Also, I'm using Joint Health Plus by Prevanex. I say that because I know it makes a difference because it's not just affecting me positively, it's affecting so many of you. You've written all these wonderful reviews over on prevenex.com, You've sent me notes. You've sent the company notes. They then forward it to me because they're so excited. I know I'm not the only one. This stuff works in 7 to 10 days, and it makes a difference. And it's why I'm so excited not only to use it, but to share it with you as well. So go over to prevenex.com. that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use code RUNNER15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order. Charlie Watson's the guest today. I could not wait to get Charlie on the show. I followed her as a runner for so long. And then earlier this year, to my wonderful delight, she sent me a copy of her cookbook, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's just just so, so good. And not only is the food fantastic, obviously, every cookbook, you can just assume, right? If you have a cookbook, the food's going to be good. The thing that I liked most about it was just how practical it was. This doesn't take three hours to make a dish. It doesn't take three trips to the grocery stores to get the 25 random ingredients that you'll need for one dish and then never use again, you know, basically until they've already expired. Uh, It's so much more practical than that. Beyond that, I just love talking to Charlie about any topic. So without further ado, let's get into it with Charlie Watson. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been you know, such a fan of you know, your blog, your website, everything you do uh, on social media, running. And also, this cookbook, I'm holding this cookbook <laughs> in my hand. You sent it to me a while ago. It is now the most favored Chittam family cookbook uh, in our house. So, first of all, thank you for that. And you did a wonderful job with this.
1: Thank you. And I I, honestly, it means so much to hear that. Um, Every time I get, um, you know, somebody sending me a photo of a recipe they've done on Instagram, it makes my day. So I'm so, so happy to hear that. Um, And just before we came on, you were saying that your wife um, has, you know, used it, has no idea, obviously, who I am, because um, it's quite a small niche running world. But um, so I'm glad that it it spreads beyond just runners enjoying it.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. I just left it on the counter after reading it and with the idea of like, all right, I'm going to dive into this. And then she came through and again, she didn't know who you were, but she was like, oh, cookbook. You know, what is this? Like, oh, I just got it in the mail and she started perusing it. And I've gotten I'm not going to name names. I've gotten plenty of cookbooks (laughs) in this genre from people all very, you know, you know, a lot of them are very, very good. The problem is, like so many people, um, there's a difference between a really good recipe and a recipe that works really well with our lifestyle. <laughs> so a lot of them, you know, we just can't do a lot of them. Uh, we don't have the time or we don't have like the ability to like, all right, here's 20 unique ingredients that you're only going to need for this dish. It's like, all right, I'm just <laughs> that's not what her pantry looks like. And we're just not going to go out and buy all this stuff. Um so there's there's very popular running cookbooks where I feel like fall into that genre and it's like it fits certain people's lifestyle. It doesn't fit mine. Um, whereas yours, cook eat run, it's like the opposite, man. Like we, there's so many of these where it was always like, all right, like I can just pick up one or two things. Like I used to have this, maybe I don't have it right now, but it's not like, you know, I don't know. It, it felt like it, it spoke to me as someone who, you know, to the chagrin of my family, I usually am the one who cooks dinner. Um, And I wasn't looking at this like, oh man, like this is just beyond the scope of what's possible for me, uh, which is despite the fact that I've been doing this for a while, um, I'm basically like the cooking version of someone who learns how to drive and just (laughs) never gets better despite driving all the time. I'm basically that as a cook, um, again, to the chagrin of my family.
1: Well, I'm glad that it works for you. I feel like Part of the reason there's not that many ingredients is because I did all the testing like in my own kitchen, so it was basically like, oh, we don't have this ingredient, so it's not going in the recipe. Um, so also things that I don't really like didn't really go in it either. So there are no olives in the cookbook, and there are there's no dill. I hate dill and olives, so there's no, there's none in the cookbook.
0: See this, Charlie? This is why we are we are eating soulmates right here. <laughs>
1: oh, you don't like those <laughs> I, either? You're like, oh that that's that suits your taste
0: i can't i can't say that necessarily about dill i want to like olives i'm not Mm -hmm. like i'm not against them on principle they're in so many things so many people love them um but for me if there is an olive in a dish it's like the it's like the story princess and the pea yeah it's like Uh i don't care how many mattresses you put on top of that pea that princess is going to feel it that's how i feel about olives i will taste it in any dish and I just, I, I just, I just dislike it so strongly um, that it, it ruins every dish it's in for me. Um, no matter how much I love, literally every other ingredient.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm like, is that they've chopped it really small? I'm like, is there, um, you know, an olive garnish on this? And they're like, oh yeah, just you know, t- so small you can just pick it right off. And I'm like, mm, you have tainted this whole thing. <laughs> um, obviously, if I'm out for dinner and someone has made it for me, I just am like really polite and eat it. But um, yeah, no. They- they are not my nine cups of tea.
0: All right. So we're going to talk plenty about running. Um, you have a, an extremely popular running blog. You're a six-star Abbott marathon medal finisher. You've done amazing things uh, as a runner, but I still want to talk about the cooking because this is, I feel like it's one of those things where you see a cookbook like this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how, like, how does someone you know come up with their own recipes and what's that trial and error process? Like, all right, so put, let's put, let me put it a different way. Say there's, 75 recipes in here, right? Yeah. So not not the drinks, but like the foods, right? Mm-hmm. How many recipes or how many things do you try to get to 75?
1: So I probably wrote down like 150, maybe more. And so I, I used to, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but I used to work at Good Housekeeping in the UK, Good Housekeeping magazine, writing the recipes for them. So I came at it from the same approach that we did with the magazine, that I was like, right, we need a mixture of like breakfast, lunch, dinner, we need snacks, we need things that will suit um, vegetarians, vegans. And then I want to have a combination of like chicken, uh, beef, fish, that sort of thing. And I basically laid it all out to my husband's horror all over our sitting room and kind of worked at it like that so I started off with this list put everything into piles and then was like right I need more fish recipes or I need let you know let's make change this recipe from chicken to beef or whatever it was um so there were probably many many iterations of different recipes and different combinations and yeah it kind of um got whittled down to those those 70 75 recipes
0: And what's the process by which a recipe becomes yours, right? So obviously like there's, there's certain recipes that are kind of pretty standard. Everyone knows, like I'm thinking about like just the, you know, like whether it's like a song or if like comedians are telling jokes, right? I think, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. I can imagine it kind of being the same thing with uh, someone in your position where it's like at what point is a recipe go from being standard or someone else's to all of a sudden being like a Charlie Watson recipe?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't actually know. We were told, well, when I was working at Good House we were like, as long as three things are different, you can call it yours. Um, but I think it comes down to a lot of the stuff that we, or certainly that I cook at home, there's no recipe or I've never had a recipe. I've just eaten it or in a restaurant and I'm like, oh, I think there was this in it. So I've put in um, a sprout sauté, so Brussels sprouts in like a peanut sauté sauce. And that was something that I ate at a restaurant and then kind of worked ate a similar finished dish and then worked backwards to create something that actually was a bit more substantial and would make a dinner rather than like a starter, which I think I had it as. Um, but yeah, I think there's no like hard and fast rule as long as you don't look at to you know, your recipe and um, one that you've maybe used before and think this is a carbon copy. Um, and you change things like, you know, one of the core ingredients or the cooking method or, some, you know something like that then i think it can be it can be yours
0: now professionally speaking did you come to this point in your career just from a um, not your day job but i'm thinking more specifically about like this book in terms of all right you were on a very very like healthy eating side and then have to like go more towards like okay now i want to create something that's you know, extremely tasty, but also I can create fast? Or are you more coming from like the other end of the spectrum? Like, all right, I eat for taste. It's, I'm not too worried about the nutrition aspect of this. And then trying to like, then gear it towards more like, all right, I'm gearing this for runners. So let's push the boost performance type feel and making sure it's nutrient dense and that sort of thing. Like what what angle at this point in your career did you come from?
1: Um, so I should probably say I came from the nutrition angle, but actually no, I came definitely from a taste um, my, I always want to create recipes that you taste and you think this is amazing. And then when I'm like, oh, but actually this is why it's good for you. That's what I love about, you know, having friends over for dinner or cooking for my husband and being like, oh, but did you know, I've actually, you know, this is actually all of your fiber day in this recipe or, um, oh, it's got fiber and it's got this much protein. And this is why it's going to keep you full, for filler for longer. Um, so definitely always from a taste. Cause I think no matter how good something is for you, if you don't want to eat it or drink it, then you're not going to. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely of the of the opinion that you things should taste good and be good for you.
0: Now, there are certain dishes that when you're interacting with people that you commonly hear someone say like, oh, I always like to eat xyz but i know it's not good for me then you can kind of like chime in with a rejoinder like oh but actually and then you can kind of like let them know like hey you know we can actually make this work
1: yeah pizza hands down pizza everyone's like oh you know i just really like a pizza and i'm like well there's there's when you buy a takeaway pizza obviously it's quite greasy it's quite um usually has a lot of lot of um cheese a lot of things that are maybe not so great for you but, and a, a lot of salt. How which dare you say useless. that about cheese,
0: Charlie Watson? How dare oh, you say that oh, about I am, cheese? I
1: love cheese, but I just think <laughs> that, you know, if you make it yourself, there's nothing bad in it. Like the, if you're making, you're making the dough, there's nothing bad in it. It's a great source of carbohydrates to fuel a long run or to help refuel. Tomato sauce, if you make it yourself, there's no added sugar, there's no added salt, it's a great source of um vitamins, of nutrients, um, and delicious. Put on whatever toppings you want, chuckle in the oven. Um, and it's often it's like a great balance. It's got your carbs, your protein, and your fat all within one one kind of easy-to-eat manhandle, everyone loves it, pizza. Um, so I think it's it's about changing perceptions and thinking like, why do you think that this is bad? Okay, it's maybe because you're um you you relate pizza to either maybe overeating it or it coming with chips and beers and this and or, or eating so much that then you feel bad about yourself afterwards so it's about like readdressing people's kind of emotional attachments to something like a pizza
0: yeah and i can't wait to talk about emotional eating slash stress eating you've had you had a good episode on your podcast about that and i've also written about it on your blog um the recipe that you have for pizza in your book, you have you've laid out like here's how to create the dough or whatever. How do you feel about when people just kind of either buy dough at the grocery store, the market, the bakery, things like that in terms of, you know, in terms of it's a, not just it's easier, but in terms of its um, nutrition or whatever?
1: Oh, I think go for it. I've got frozen pizza bases or like dough in my freezer all the time because my husband loves pizza. It means it's a quick like Friday night thing that I pull out of the freezer in the morning. And I just buy ours from our local supermarket. They've actually got a whole grain one that I use quite often. I think it's you know if you make things too difficult for you to do, then you're not again you're not going to do it. So it's about using right, okay, like right, okay, I can. I can batch make a big thing of tomato sauce, put it in the freezer, like divvy it out into portions and then it's ready to go. I can buy the whole grain frozen pizza base and it's ready to go. And then I can throw whatever I've got in the fridge on as toppings. And it's a great balanced dinner on a Friday night before my long run on a Saturday.
0: Now, in terms of someone or yourself or whoever, eating, say someone wants to eat healthier or just me, i don't have to express this in some sort of vague person. Like, say I want to eat healthier. I've expressed many times in this podcast my journey to try to do that. Um, I'm looking to do that. Would you find that part of this process is more – habit-based? Is it more like, all right, people just, you know, once they get in the habit of doing this, then it just becomes their reality. Do you feel like they need to make more of a, a concerted paradigm shift? Is it more of like, Hey, you just find a couple of things that you like and build slowly. What's, what are some of the ways that you like to talk to people about making changes in this regard that are not only effective, but also sustainable?
1: Yeah. So I think it's about looking at what's realistic in your life. Like if you have no time in the morning and then suddenly someone's expecting you to cook up, I actually just listened to your podcast on the way here. Like I couldn't make an like a skillet, sausage, egg skillet in the morning. I just don't have time. But overnight oats work for me. Um, So I think it's about being realistic with the time, your energy levels and like the finances, like what can you what changes can you afford to make in terms of um like w- time money and emotional input into this and then looking at what okay what things do you specifically like about what you're eating at the moment what makes you feel good and why and then what doesn't make you feel so good and why and let's change those things the things that you're not going to be emotionally attached to to start with so for me if someone came to me and said you have to give up chocolate I would, anything else that came out of their mouth, I wouldn't be able to listen to because I'd be like, I'm not giving up chocolate. So <laughs> um, I'm just definitely like, let's let's look at this as a holistic, what's your lifestyle like? And then make small changes towards whatever your version of healthier is. Because I think for some people, it's, um, it's about finding a balance between, you know, like an 80-20 where they eat, I'm doing this in inverted commas, but like healthy 80% of the time and 20% of the time it's relaxed. It's I'm going out for dinner. It's I'm grabbing, you know, a coffee on the go with a muffin or whatever. And then for some other people, they like to have a lot more control where it's all, it's calorie counted and it's macros and it's, it's whatever works for them. So it's looking at what their lifestyle is like, what their um, training is like, what their family life is like and work and what do they have access to and then making changes from
0: there yeah that makes sense and i feel like it also could potentially be a sticking point in terms of when you gear it towards what people are used to then also trying to push them to try new things and trying to find that kind of the balance between those two things definitely
1: i try and look at when i'm working with um a lot with patients it's more of a like what can we add into your diet so let's Rather than like thinking about something as negative and let's take this away, let's let's really try and focus on you getting at least five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. Like, where can we add those in? And then it's like, let's get a portion of calcium. You know, it's something um, like a you know yogurt or a or a milk based drink or some or some cheese or something like that. So yeah, I get the cheese in there, but let's look oh, at I the calcium. You're, you're nailing it. <laughs> let's look at like the whole grains. How can we make sure? every week you have 30 different types of um, fiber like whole grains and vegetables and pulses and that sort of thing and then by adding all this in it's like oh well actually I don't have room for everything else so what you know what can we what can we shift around to to make it a positive rather than than being like right cut out this this this
0: yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, too, man. Yeah, that, that, that really works. And I can see why when you talk in a positive way like that, that's, like, that's inherently positive because you're literally adding, uh, not subtracting from something, um, how that would work really well. Let's let's just dive into what what is your full time job right now? Because I know that you've had some shifting over the past year.
1: Yeah. So I work as a, a clinical dietitian at a hospital just outside London.
0: All right. And who is your client base within that hospital?
1: So I work with, um, gastro patients and like post-surgical and, um, a lot of, um, oncology gastro, we see a lot of pancreatic cancers at the moment. And then, um, the polite way of saying, um, is the care of the elderly wards. I usually say the old people, (laughs) um, and and then i also have a or it's just restarted um work with a, a diabetes clinic a weight management and a nutrition support kind of outpatient's clinic
0: now in that in that um arena what has your experience been with people um what do they need from a either motivation, inspiration or just their thought process? What do they need in order to fully embrace the conversations that you're having with them as opposed to getting the feeling of like all right, this is either in one ear or out the other or this is just not something they want to incorporate in their life, either because they're just not interested in what I'm saying or because they like, hey, I'm going through this hard thing. I don't want to like now do another hard thing. I just want to like, I just want to finally just live my life after going through all of these procedures.
1: Yeah. So it is so individual. Like for some people, it's they want to get out of hospital. Um, And for a lot of the care of the elderly, they just want to go home. And so I'm like, listen, like we need you to have some more energy. A lot of what I talk about focuses on energy. So people, let's give you more energy. How can we do that? Do you need to eat more? So do you need to eat more protein? Do you need to eat more carbs and fat as a, as a lot of the, um, elderly population, they're just not eating enough. So it's looking at maximizing what they are eating. And then with the weight management, with the diabetics, a lot of that, I'm like, do you, let's get more energy for you to have a better quality of life at home. Like, what do you want to do? What are you not doing now that you would love to be able to do? And a lot of that time that's, you know, look after my kids or my grandkids, or I want to be able to, um, you know, enjoy being outside more, and so it's looking at, for them about right let's let's stabilize your blood sugar so that you can have more energy throughout the day to do what you want to do. So that's what I focus on a lot when I'm speaking to different patients um and then when they're really sick, it's just like let's try and make you feel better. how can we give you energy so that you can get up out of bed or just sit up and read or whatever it is at the at that time that they want to be able to do?
0: And especially when talking with people uh, who have diabetes or maybe are pre-diabetic, you know, there are certain individuals or certain not individuals, but, you know, we've all seen um, you have to be completely immune to what's going on in the in the nutrition world not to see the various and often, you know, very strongly worded um, takes on the role that carbohydrates can and should play in people's diets, whether they're people who just need to lose weight or they're people who are, you know, trying to perform athletically at a pretty high level. It's like, no matter the, no matter where people fall in that range, there seems to be people who take very, very different approaches to carbohydrates. And at first glance, a lot of these people have, you know, potentially similar backgrounds and education. And, um, I know where I potentially stand on this, but I'd love to hear how, how you not only, not only what you think about that topic, but how you personally, um, observe that, Contentious conversation that's, that's out there sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult one um, because certainly, where my sort of training, my background, my, the research that I've done, for me, the body's preferred source of energy is carbohydrates, um, and whether you have, so I would typically talk to people about having between forty and sixty percent of their intake is carbohydrates, and it's so individual because nutrition is individual. But I think whether you get your carbohydrates from sources like fruit and vegetables or whole grains or, you know, a mixture of all of the above and some refined carbs, ultimately, my belief is that most people function better with carbs in their diet.
0: Right. And then the next question is always like, what kind of carbs are you talking about? Because not all carbs are made equal.
1: Not all carbs are made equal, but also I think there is a place for most types of carbs in our diet. So we, we have, you know, the complex carbs that are, have more fiber that take longer for our bodies to break down. And those are brilliant to have, um, most of the time, but actually there is a place for quick release carbs. And that is while we're exercising and straight after to help replenish our carbohydrate, our glycogen stores. So If I would say the majority of the carbs in your diet should be these slow, you know, from from fibrous things like fruit and veg, like oats, like whole grain bread, whole grain pasta, that sort of thing. But then there definitely is space for you to have the quick release, which is in things like milk products. And um, if you want it, like cakes and, you know, have that donut after your after your long run, if you want to or 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 at the birthday party, like I don't think that they need to be they need to be vilified and um, for most people, there's always this caveat I think that you know when we talk about nutrition it's 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 nutrition is so individualized that I can say this is my belief, but there'll be someone that comes in and they actually can't have that and and so I think it's this is my for the majority, not necessarily the minority, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And one thing that's very particular to 2020 is the idea. Well, two things really is the stress eating and, you know, sometimes coupled with that and sometimes not is just food availability. We had certain periods of time where getting to food was harder. And then we had other periods of time where like that wasn't an issue. But all of a sudden I'm in my house all the time and I'm just in my kitchen like covered you know surrounded by food and obviously like i'm blessed to be in a situation where you know we don't have to worry about going hungry but it's a different situation of like making sure i don't eat myself out of house and home simply because i'm bored and it's just sitting there um what has been your take on 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 these two things because i think sometimes they're linked sometimes they're not but they're definitely much more prevalent this year than sometimes in years past
1: Oh, tell me about it. We had, um, at the hospital, a lot of East leftover Easter eggs delivered that obviously weren't sold because people weren't doing their usual Easter activities. And so there was a time where I was eating like, you know, half an Easter egg every day. And I was like, this is not good. Um, I'm just eating this because it's here. And as you say, because I'm bored and I'm tired. So when, when you're kind of at home and you're eating, you I, well, I try and look at like, why am I eating this? Am I, is it because I'm bored? Right. Okay. Like I can go and do something else. Is it because I'm tired? Okay. Maybe I should go to bed earlier or choose something, choose a snack that is going to give me, give me the boost in energy, but that's going to sustain it so that I'm not going back into the cupboard in 15 minutes time. Um, am I, am I sad? Like, why am I sad? Like looking at, at the reasons why you're eating and why you've chosen to eat what you're eating. And if it's a case of just because it's there is that I just can't buy this, you know, I cannot stock my cupboard with snacks that I will just eat because I love those snacks because otherwise I will, they'll be gone immediately. But, um, yeah, taking it back to like, what's the emotion behind this eating and can you do something else that's maybe, you know, a more positive, um, way of dealing with that emotion and if it's because you're enjoying it with a friend who's you know you're seeing on your porch and you're sharing a piece of birthday cake then like go for it if it's because you are feeling overwhelmed or um lonely or depressed or you know if it's another kind of emotion then actually the eating is probably not going to solve it for that you know for longer than the time that you're actually physically eating it so looking at what what positive thing can you do? Could you go for a walk? Could you often I just need to have a cup of tea or a you know a glass of water or or like liquid? I'm often thirsty is when I think I'm hungry and I'm actually just thirsty.
0: Yeah, you made a great point there. Um in terms of terms of the foods um or appetites connection to the mental health process. Um, I know like and not only does it not solve the problem. <laughs> Especially uh, maybe, you know, maybe like in the ten, sec- 10 seconds while you're eating, it might feel that way. Usually it exacerbates the problem, at least for me, because all of a sudden now I'm just now, now I still have that potential I still have that issue that I was ruminating on. And now I also have the guilt of what I just consumed for literally no reason.
1: But also it's the, it's the sugar crash. You know, oftentimes the food that we choose is either high salt or high sugar, and that's going to make you feel worse afterwards because you're you're going to have this like you know this crashing feeling where actually you can go to a lower low than you were before you ate it. So one of the ways I I kind of get try and get around this is by choosing you know saying to myself oh, I'm like oh, I really want some chocolate. Okay, I'll have an apple or I'll have an orange, and if I still want the chocolate after I've had that, I've had some sugar, I've had something to eat. I've, you know, got over the boredom because I've had to get up and made it make to make a snack. Um, then then I'll have the chocolate and it's and then there's not the guilt attached to it because otherwise it's just I go into the cupboard and I'm mindlessly putting my hand into a bag of peanut butter MMs and before you know it, they're gone. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Now over the course of your day, how often do you th- think about the fact that like it seems that what you do, um you know, makes you like not only part dietitian, but also part therapist in a way, because of what people's inner mindset may be, or how, how it may be interacting with what they're consuming.
1: So not actually not very often, but I think it's, I know a lot about the fact that it, oh, I think a lot about the fact that it's such an emotional subject. And especially when people are in hospital, it's oftentimes A, that you're going to talk to them and people are really lonely in hospital, even more so now because they can't have visitors. And a lot of the elderly population have been alone for like, you know, isolating for a long time. So they're just grateful to come and talk to you about something that they that they have a control over that they can have an opinion on that they know about, which is so nice. And it, you know, I have lovely conversations with, with patients for that reason. When, you know, when medication and surgery and treatment go so far over their heads, you know, talking about, well, what do you like to eat? What, would when you're feeling ill, what kind of things do you like? Um, it's such a, a nice way of connecting with someone. um, so I see that as a big part of my sort of role day to day. And I don't see that as like a therapist, but more just as a, as a human connecting over food, and um, like we would have, you know, months ago going out for dinner with friends and family.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's transition to your life, your running life, I guess. Um, you have, you've done, you know, so many things again, six star finisher, um, which is absolutely incredible. And one of the things that always struck me, um, as a follower of yours is just the, just the upbeat, joyful, energetic way you seem to approach running. Is that something that you consciously try to cultivate or did you come to running because it provided that for you?
1: So I feel like I'm struggling with that right now. I feel like running is so hard right now, but, um, that I'm just, um, I kind of congratulate myself that I've even, done it like that I'm even getting out the door because I know it's you know it feels really difficult um currently but no I think so I came to running um running the, the London Marathon I signed up for the London Marathon in memory of one of my friends um after he sadly took his own life due to mental health issues and so I always saw running as this like Right let's transition this or try to do as much as we can to transition this into a positive and think about think about my friend when I'm running, think about him while I'm doing this marathon and and channel my grief into something good and so I you know whenever running is hard, that's what I think about, like why did you start? Why did you continue because I think that's a lot of us think about that you know when we're out there ten miles into a run, and you're like, oh gosh let's keep going. Um, and also just, you know, being kind of grateful that I have running because it's brought me so much that I just feel so grateful for that. Um, and so I always, even when it's feeling, feeling harder, it's dark or it's raining or, um, miserable, try and kind of channel that sort of side of my emotion towards running rather than uh, this is hard and everything hurts. (laughs)
0: So you've finished a lot of really fun and exciting races, and you've done you know really cool things in the running world. And one thing, one goal that you've talked about quite often, and something that you still view as a as a goal that you want to accomplish is uh, qualifying for the Boston Marathon, getting that BQ. And you know, listen, you know, reading your blog, it was something that you really seemed to be. Not that you were focusing more on it, but that you really had pegged 2020 like, all right, I'm going to run Manchester and I'm going to make this happen. I'm really excited for this. And you were working hard for that. And then things sort of went awry. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened just from a sickness perspective? Because it seemed like it really came on and affected you in certain ways. But you're such a positive person. I could tell you didn't really want to dwell yeah. on it in your writing. But then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, the marathon is not going to happen. And and um, yeah, can you just speak to that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean I still I still don't know what it was. And you know, I said to you before we came on, now I'm wondering whether like actually we had COVID here before because I was so ill over Christmas and it just took me weeks and weeks and months and months and I I still don't have the energy I don't feel like I had the energy levels that I did last year. And probably that's a combination of like stress, of having a full-time job that is not the nine to five um, you know, sitting down kind of role and, and just kind of navigating what's this new normal. Um, but yeah, I, I was super like fluey, disgusting over Christmas and new year, and then just never kind of rebounded from that. And then felt like I had twinges in my legs and cause I probably came back, like, you know, tried to do too much too soon, um, got plantar fasciitis, um, and essentially pulled out of Manchester marathon before it was canceled, but pulled out and then, then lockdown happened and I didn't run for several weeks and got a Peloton bike and just went on that instead and found, found a real enjoyment and stress relief from that that has now enabled me to kind of start running again, albeit at a bit much slower pace and lower mileage than I was previously.
0: And one of the things you did early in 2020 was head to Atlanta for the uh, American Olympic trials and the marathon. What was that experience like? Because one of the things that you wrote about was that it kind of reset or maybe kind of reconfigured your thinking a little bit in terms of um, goals or goal setting, or you kind of alluded to that. So what was that experience like for you? Not only in terms of the entertainment perspective, but its impact on you personally
1: yeah oh my gosh! It was such a fun weekend, and I'm so grateful to have had it because um you know I think that was one of the last times I was able to travel before before we kind of that was halted um and yeah i just I went with Lindsay Hine and a group of friends and and we just had the absolute best time in atlanta and it and it do you know what for me it was the hearing the the everyday runner stories again i'm using you can't see me, but I'm using sort of um, air quotes for that because to me, these are all incredible elite women that are running a sub 245, but it was hearing, and and the men as well, but um, hearing their stories of how they navigated training at such a high level with full-time jobs, with families, with um, with. Other commitments that I was like I can't like it just made me think I can do this, and no matter how long it takes me to get there, I will do it Um, I'm quite stubborn, so um I literally came away being like i I don't care kind of what year I qualify but it's it's gonna happen
0: It's interesting right because I saw this phenomenon on my show leading up to the trials was so many people were more interested in not I wouldn't say sub-elite because these you know these men and women were still blazing fast, uh, but people who weren't necessarily in the mix to qualify for the Olympics, kind of that next tier down, or maybe even another tier down from that. But people who they felt like were living lives similar to theirs, or, or lives that they could imagine as much more of you know um, an everyday person's life, whether it was similar to theirs or not, it was almost um, inconsequential. But it wasn't like I lived the life of a pro. And I'm going to try to be as fast as I can. And that kind of duality for so many people really kind of brought that home. kind of sounds like in a similar way to you, but I just saw that happen so often in the lead up, whether it was, you know, people had featured on one of my shows, or you mentioned Lindsay on her show or, you know, a dozen other shows that kind of we all listen to.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that you can, we can relate to them a lot more than the elite runners. Like, yes, I love listening to like a Dez on a podcast and hearing about their lives, but actually- what I love more is hearing about the mum from, you know, like, okay, Roberta Groener, I feel like straddles both worlds here, but you know, I love hearing about how does she make it work? How, how do people like Roberta train hard, have a family, have a job, have so much going on and, and still manage to, to run to such a high level and so fast. And obviously it's all relative in terms of like, my trying to BQ and them trying to, you know, qualify for the world championships or the Olympics. But there's, there's similarities in terms of like, okay, you have to prioritize and you have to, you have to be willing to get up early and make sacrifices that are worth that you think are worth it. And can you have a nap during the day? No, but could I go to bed earlier? Yes. Could I do this? Could I give up half an hour of mindless Instagram scrolling? Yes, I can to swap that for stretching or strength or sleep or focusing more on my own nutrition because I'm actually terrible at it, and I have it's something that I have to work quite hard at
0: yeah that's a great that's a great way of putting it um and when you say it's all relative, it's so true because ultimately part of the reason that those folks are so easy to root for and to, is so much fun to follow is that they're basically trying to do the same thing that we are, and that is reach their potential within the constraints of their life, which we can say, oh, I have the same constraints. Well, they're trying to reach their potential. I would like to reach mine. What can I take from that, even if our potential, at least in the short term, are nowhere near each other?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also just kind of remembering, it makes me, I'm like, I need to remember that actually I can't fit in 100 miles a week because I run significantly slower. But what's my percentage? So if they're running their easy pace at like seven minute miles and I'm doing nine and a half or whatever, like percentage wise, what you know, what's and relative wise, like what is the equivalent of their hard work and my hard work? Um, and just comparing in a way, because you're like, right, well, what, if, if they can manage that, how could I, you know, tinker with my own life to manage it? But also being like, right, okay. They also have probably a bit more support in terms of like physios and, sponsors and all of that sort of jazz. So so yeah, taking taking what you can from it and and using it as inspiration and motivation for your own life and training.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I actually had a similar conversation with one of my athletes, I think it was two weeks ago, and we were talking because she can like run all day, but she's not like, again at, at the pace of a Roberta Groner. And I was talking to her and I was like, listen, like a lot of these pros they, if they're running doubles, it means that they're not running more than 75 minutes for their first run of the day. And that's why they're doing a double is that then they'll run, you know, an hour, you no, know, half an hour or 45 minutes in the afternoon. So they're basically accumulating two hours of, of time on their feet at one time. So it's like, don't look at the mileage. They're like, oh, they ran 11 miles in the morning. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> they were running at a seven minute pace, um, you know, versus like, hey, you, you you ran seven miles today. Like that was a lot like, cause you you ran the same amount of time that Des Linden ran this morning, mm-hmm. you know, you might've covered less distance, but you ran the same amount of time and that shouldn't be lost on you. Yeah. But it's so easy to forget that because, you know, oftentimes we don't think about time on feet in that, in that way. And especially if we're not maybe as fit as we once were, you know, it's easy to kind of, you know, sometimes the self comparisons can be even harder to, to stop doing, um, in a negative way. Cause you say, all right, well, like I used to do X, Y, Z, I'm not, you know, significantly older than I was back then. I need to get back to that point. Why aren't I there yet? And it can just that can be frustrating sometimes.
1: Definitely, and I also think a lot of people, myself included, are doing that. Like, you know, last year, where was I in tw- this time in 2019? And I, for a lot of people, a lot of people have thrived with their running and their fitness during during the last six months. But a lot of people have struggled because there's been job stresses, there's been financial stresses, there's been just the unknown. And and for a lot of people, actually, you know, running has been more of a stress reliever than a performance-based thing. And so it is it's easy to think, oh, this time last year I was faster, I was fitter, I was, um, you know, my mileage was higher. But again, it's about like giving yourself this grace and being like, well, actually I didn't have all this stress to contend with, or I had a goal race on the on the calendar that was definitely happening, and now no one really knows what what races are going on. How they're going to happen, um, so yes, I think it's giving yourself the grace that re- con- when you compare yourself to yourself and when you compare yourself to a, you know professional athletes
0: so how are you making sure now that you get back into running you're rough, roughly around what like I was reading your blog post, I think the most recent weekly training blog post you had up was like you around oh, twenty gosh. miles a week that week was <laughs> yeah. like a month it was like a month ago or so. How are you? making sure how, how are you doing at returning back to running in a way that's you know, healthier than you did earlier in the year when you got planter and all of a sudden had some, some other injuries pop up?
1: So I'm being much more diligent with my strength training. So I'm doing it twice a week, um, sort of non-negotiable, even if it means that I can't run on those days. I just, am like, right, these, these, this is happening. Um, and I'm trying to be kinder to myself. I don't always do a good job with that. Um, and, and making the, making the most of the time that I do have. So I've started running twice a week on my lunch breaks, which means I stay later at work, but I I feel like it's a nice way of breaking up my day, getting out, enjoying some fresh air, kind of reinvigorating myself, although it doesn't mean that i go back to work with crazy hair, but, um, yeah, just, just, kind of congratulating myself every time I get out there rather than just on the hard workouts or the long runs, which I definitely used to do. Um, and trying to focus on this time as, as using running as a stress relief, using running to build fitness for whatever is going to, you know, whatever I want to do later on in the year. Quite into hiking at the moment. I just went to Norway with a friend and we really loved hiking out there and have some have some other trips planned. So um, Charlie,
0: my jealousy is like is like running over right now. Because I was like hearing somebody planning travel, like in my mind immediately was like, wait, what? Like what's going on? Because so many people here in the US, like the idea of travel is so anathema to our daily life at this point that like it literally took me a second to realize what you were saying.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we've got some um, air corridors that we're allowed to visit from the UK that are deemed sort of safe. And whilst I wouldn't like go to a big city. We, I, I do feel comfortable going kind of safely to places that I can be outdoors. So yeah, we went to, went to Norway, went to, um, basically spent two days outside hiking. I've got a trip to to Switzerland planned for the end of September. Again, just being outside. Um, yeah, my, I mean, my husband works in the travel industry, so it's been an interesting time, but I feel like a lot of the airlines, a lot of the travel companies are doing a really good job at at trying to, you know, maintain safety. And so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that I feel like you need to make your own decision on whether you feel comfortable to travel. But at the moment, the travel that I've got planned, I do feel comfortable doing.
0: That's awesome. All right. So we know about a long-term goal that you have. We've already talked about it. Do you have any short-term goals, um, both from a running perspective, but also here as an author? Because I don't know if like all of a sudden you're on like, you know, you caught like caught the writing bug and you're gonna start producing this stuff on the regular.
1: Um, in terms of the book, no. Oh my gosh, it was probably the most stressful thing I've ever done. It every deadline for my book coincided with um I don't know whether in the US you do the same, but we had a big dissertation that I had to write for my university degree. And every deadline basically lined up with, you know, oh, you've got another another edit due and it was quite stressful. Um, and in terms of running goals, do you know, it's just, I just want, I just want running to feel easier. Um, but I don't know how I, you know, how you define that because you, whenever you, you know, you, you make progress and so you actually run faster, or you run longer. So it won't, but I just want running to feel as good as it did. Again, and I, you know, I think it's, um, obviously that's relative, but yeah, I just, I want to feel more confident in my own running ability again.
0: Well, as someone who communicates about running so extensively, when you are struggling with like, oh, I just don't want to write a blog post this week, or I just don't want to do XYZ in terms of, you know, the communications that you put out to people what are some of the things that people have said to you in the past that make you inspired to kind of keep doing it?
1: Yeah. So mostly it's like, thank you for talking about this. Either thank you for sharing that it's difficult or thank you for sharing that this bra doesn't chafe you when you run or that you, you know, TMI, but peed your shorts during the Boston Marathon when you ran it. You know, um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the people being like, I really related to you. And I, 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 you know, I got out for a run this morning because you shared that you didn't want to, but you went anyway. Um, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like it's just talking to, to friends really. And that's who I write my blog for. And it's, and it's a very conversational style because that's who I feel like I am communicating with.
0: Well, if someone isn't already following you or learning more about you on the regular, where can they go to do that?
1: Um, so share very regularly on my Instagram, which is just the runner beans. And on my blog, which is um, the runner beans.com. And if people don't know, I realized that in America, you don't have runner beans as a vegetable. I only discovered this fairly recently. Um, so yeah, it's the reason in my blog and my instagram is called the runner beans is because here in the uk we have a green bean that's called runner beans
0: yeah that's funny when i first saw that i thought you know when i first saw your your blog and you know your instagram handle and all that i first i thought it was an inside joke that like beans <laughs> was like your nickname as a kid and you're like oh i need a name for something i know i'll just use like my nickname as a kid and put runner in front of it
1: no yeah it was if i was gonna do more well it was always going to be kind of cooking and running um and it slowly morphed into more, more running than cooking until, until the, um, the cookbook. But yeah, it's, um, it was supposed to be like, how can I balance the two? Oh, let's, let's call it this. But, and it's it stuck for, I think, eight years I've been blogging now.
0: Oh, can't go away now. Charlie, thank you so <laughs> much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is one of those conversations where I felt like, shoot, we could just talk for hours and hours. Maybe I would want to talk to Charlie for hours and hours. You might not want to talk to me for that long. But needless to say, I enjoyed this conversation so much. And I hope you did as well. Shout out to our friends over at Prevenex Go check them out today. They've helped me so much with my supplementation. Uh, I also am a big fan of their Neurofi Plus, which is kind of like a mix between a protein powder and meal replacement shake. I have it every single morning after my run. It's my go-to and it works great. I'm just such a big fan of this company, what they do, who they support and how they do it. So go check them out today, Prevanex.com and use code RUNNER15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. enterprising in my surroundings i'm finding the quietest escapes these days This representation of storm brewing i'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change i'm trying to show this
1: industry